Open your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. And I want to look at verses 10 through 12 this morning. I touched on these a few weeks ago. Um, when we looked at verses uh, really 7, 6 through, through 12, um, I hit on them. But I wanted to come back to, to these two verses. And I think there's some, some, uh, some good application for us. Um, you know, in the context, if you, if you remember, I'll just kind of walk you through a little bit, kind of catch you up. I know we've all had a, a Thanksgiving since the last time we've been in this book, and we've had some, some nights of rest, right? So typically we might forget some things. But um, if you remember, so here's this short letter that, that Malachi is writing, and, and the nation of Israel is, is kind, of, kind of going about things in their own way, right? They're, this is how we're, we're doing it. We, we're kind of meeting God's standard, but the standard is dictated by themselves. Really, that's kind of what's happening. And God's been calling them on them. And there's been these questions and going back and forth. And, and they've been responding, right? It begins right out of the gate in chapter 1. How have you loved us? Right? I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you look at your life and go, I don't know, where is God? in the, How does he even love me? Right? And, of course, they have in there, culturally, they have this idea that we are God's people. We are Israelites. Right? We are the children of Abraham. We are entitled. Right? You should be moving. You should be doing this. And you see in the passage we'll look at today that God desires to do that. God desires to make them a nation. God desires that the nations would know him. God desires, right, that, that you and I this morning would call upon him. He desires that we would come. And yet throughout this letter, we see this ongoing tension, right? He's dealing with the priests and, and the priests are saying, how have we despised you? Are you kidding me? All right, I show up every week and we, and we got the... The, the sacrifice here, and we, we go through the motions, and God says, man, your heart's far from, look at the sacrifice here, right? Would you present that to your governor is what he says, because the animals are blemished. And what they're thinking is, is well, we, we're just going to kill them and burn them, right? And, and some might get eaten, but that's, that's good. Let's use the ones we can't sell. And God has kind of been going back and saying, no, 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 you have been, you've been far from, you think you're following, but you're not following, and then they kind of get to this place where you really see this idea of entitlement. Their identity is, God, you actually, they say this in the uh, end of chapter 2, you, you actually delight, right, when the wicked are blessed. You actually delight in this, right? You delight when the wicked are blessed. And it kind of, doesn't that kind of demonstrate for you kind of where their thinking's at, right? They're a little frustrated. Why are we being blessed? The, these, these people who don't know you, these other nations who don't know you, they are, they are excelling and exceeding where we are. We've got nothing to show for it, right? And so you kind of see the, their, their heart attitude. You see that they've made themselves really kind of the, the, the top tier of this whole thing. They're on top. It's about them. And God calls them on it. But God's response to that, that statement, you delight Right, his, his response is, I'm going to send a messenger. Right? And this messenger is going to prepare the way ultimately for Christ. So it's in this chapter, right? In, right here, this response to them saying, God, you delight when the wicked are blessed, when they prosper. His response to this is, I will send my messenger. This is the beginning of, of chapter 3. And he delights. He knows that Christ is coming, that these things will be dealt with. And then he goes on, and in the passage we looked at last week where God says, and this is in verse 6 of chapter 3, I am the Lord, I do not change. Because he does not change, they are not consumed. Right? They're asking for justice. Where is the God of justice? These wicked people are prospering. Where are your children? What's up with this? What's going on? 
And God says, you know, because I don't change, right, you are not consumed. It's good that God does not change, right? Because God, if God was to bring justice here, there would be no one who would stand. The sins left before, you know, beforehand would never be dealt with. The cross, our sins, never been dealt with at the cross. If Christ did not come, no one can fulfill our side of the covenant that Adam broke. We're born into sin. There's no hope for us. And if God was to bring justice, no one would stand. But yet, because he does not change, and because his desires that we would know his son, that his son would come, and that he, you know, his son would be glorified, and his son would go to the cross, you and I can be saved. This is who God is. And we, we've been talking about, at least I've been trying to stress upon you, this character of God, how he's responding. And he comes into this passage of Scripture and he says some very profound things. He says, look, you have departed. Because I haven't left and I'm the same, you haven't actually, you're the one who's, who's gone away. But he doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm sick and tired of you all. You know, I put you in captivity. You come back. This is what I get. And none of that is here. He just simply says, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Isn't it amazing how our attitude, I don't know if, you, you know, if you're a parent and you've had a child that kind of has this entitlement attitude and you kind of think, who is this kid, right? Where is this coming from? And yet you see, you see that parallel of God and yet you see his patience and you see the grace of God, even though maybe some of the things we may say, that seems kind of harsh, yet we see God's heart in this, his desire is that, yeah, the nations will know my son, that you will come to know Christ. And even though there's a 400-year gap between this and Christ's coming, he knows, right? God knows the plan. God knows Jesus is coming. And his desire in this is that you would return. What does he use for a litmus test here, right? He goes right after something we would identify with. He says, your offering, your tithes, your giving. That's where we kind of go, whoa, 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 right? I was okay up until this moment, right? We may have that attitude. But God uses this, and this is what I'm getting to, and I titled this message just simply walking with God. And I think that the, the deeper teaching is not just about tithes. It's not just about offering, even though that's what's, what he's dealing with. That's what he's using, but it becomes this litmus test for where your heart is spiritually. And that's what I want, to, I want to kind of get into. I want to come back to these verses and just kind of walk through them and talk about what it means because God's desire is simply that. You would come. You would come back. You would return. I would return to you. You would walk with me. The nations that he talks about in this passage, when they begin to see you walking with me, they will look upon you and go, you are blessed. You have a delightful land. You see God's heart and his, his desire that we would identify as a follower of Christ. You see his heart and his desire that others would know him. You are blessed. Isn't this the nation of Israel? Who is their God? Ah, the true and living God. So I also want to look at these verses, and I want to challenge you in this, because I think there's some good questions we could ask ourselves. If, if we were trying to build some parallels here, and, and we see the nation of Israel who are going through the motions and thinking, hey, I show up every, every for them Saturday, for us Sunday, right? We go through the motions, and we're here. How is God saying, uh, you know, I have no pleasure in you? I mean, those would be harsh words. We wouldn't want to hear that from, from the Lord. So I wanted to look at this and say, well, how do we know when we're walking with God? How do we know when God delights in us? I heard this story of, of Ted Turner, who was, uh, you know, the Ted Turner of the cable networks many years ago, back, I think it was in the 90s, made a speech, and he talked about his upbringing, how he was, he was raised in a, in a 
strict, as he said, Christian home. And he even had thoughts at one point in his life of being a missionary, of following after this and giving his life to the ministry. But when his sister had died and he, through many prayers, had prayed that she would not die and she died, he kind of got disillusioned and he thought these Christians are missing all of it. And he later concluded in his speech, the more I left the faith, the better I felt. Oh, wow, the more I left the faith, the better I felt. And then isn't that kind of the, the battle that we face in life? You're going to go through difficulties. Are you going to respond and say, well, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Where are you in this? How have you loved me? And yet we know God doesn't change. And God's desire is that our eyes would be open. We begin to see blessings new, right? We'd see his hand and realize that Scripture says every breath I breathe. Right? And the greatest gift of all time, we're entering the season of Christmas, the greatest gift is Christ. Begin to understand outside of Christ, man, there is no hope for me. And yet he loves me this way. And then we can go beyond even that, because it's not enough for God to save you. No, he knows. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, he knows you need clothes. He knows you need food. He knows you need these things. And so he provides. And so you begin to look at your own life and going, wow, the skills I have or the position I have, the resources I have are because of God, his activity in my life. And we begin to see them differently. That's what frees us, right? Why is it important to give? Why does God go right after this and say, give, open your hand is the better grip? Why does he say that? So you would not be identified like the world identifies themselves with stuff and resources. He says, no, you are my child. You are a son or a daughter of the king. So I kind of say all this to kind of just get us into this verse, these few verses here, and to have some takeaways. What does it look like? How do we know we are walking with him? How do we know we are, we are, he delights in us? What are some things that we should be seeing in our lives? And so that's the approach. I'm looking at this, walking with God. And the verses I want to read is, is, is uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. And he says, bring, right? Talking about the context, how he's using this litmus test. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not a room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes that you will not destroy, excuse me, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, says Yahweh. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word, and I pray that, God, by your spirit, you would open our eyes and apply this to our lives. Guide us, Lord, in our thinking and understanding. We would grow closer to you. And Lord, as always, get me out of the way that every thought in life would be fixed and focused upon you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to this, and as I, you know, you, God is using this idea of litmus test as giving, right? It's like where the rubber meets the road kind of statement. It's like, where are you really at, right? You can't walk the fence here. You got to be on one side or the other. And the, and the passage isn't really dealing with it. You get past the idea of giving because, you know, God wants uh, us to be obedient because we desire. We get to be obedient, 
right? Our, our walk with the Lord shouldn't be about a bunch of boxes. We check the box. Well, I gave today. Oh, it's okay. I'm good, right? And if I do this, God does that. That should be not our relationship. We use that word relationship, walking with God. And you notice I put this in the present tense, right? It's hopefully you're walking with God and or maybe walking back to God, and hopefully you're not walking away from God, right? Wherever you might be this morning. And so I just put this in, in a sense of action, right? That we would be understanding. But we look at this, it's not necessarily true. It is true they're not bringing their tithes, but it's not about not tithing. It's about apostasy. It's about departing away from God's law for them, right? And for us, going away from God's commands. That's, that's the heart of this. And we see God's heart in the middle where he says, return, right? Come back to me, right? We, we see the people, and maybe this maybe identifies you or not, but we, we see them placing themselves above Scripture. This is the idolatrousness, right, of themselves. I will bring some of the time. I'll give a token gift, right? And I don't know why God isn't blessing me, right? I brought the gift. But God says, bring it all. They're not bringing all of it, right? And we see the callousness of their hearts. Because in the Old Testament, they were to give, this is how the Levites, right, the priestly tribe, were to sustain themselves. So if they're not bringing the tithes, the Levites are having to go and fend for themselves and figure it out. And God says, bring it that there might be, what, food. My soul, the Levites are going, the whole priestly, the whole thing is kind of falling apart. And God says, come, right? But he says, try me in this. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm God. I created you. Bring it, right? Bring it in. He doesn't do that. There's a command here. There's, a, there's a, a, um, an imperative, right, where he says, try. Maybe your version of the Bible says, test me in this. He says, try me. He says, press into these things and see that, that I will respond, right, because I am God. So we see at the deeper, deeper teaching behind this is this idea of, of a heart rebellion. That's what's happening, right? I don't want to let go of this because I've worked hard. I have worked hard. I have done this. And God says, open your hand. Right? Letting go is the greater grip. Realize that all you have is because I have done it. God wants us to be leaning upon him and seeing him in everything we do in life. And that's the heart behind this. We see this word delight, right, or pleasure. It's been used a few times up until this point, right, at the beginning. He says, I have no, God tells him, I have no pleasure in you. And he's walking through and he's dealing with the priests, right? And the priests say what? You delight, God. The same root meaning, you delight, like I mentioned earlier, and when the wicked prosper. Then God turns around and says, I delight in my messenger who's going to come. Right? And here he talks about delighting. Once again, being delightful, right? Being contagious. A New Testament church, you become contagious. When you are walking with the Lord, it exudes from you. And there are things and indicators that we should be seeing in our lives. And this leads me to my first point. I know you're looking at this. It took me a while to get into the message. <clears throat> Bear with me. We'll get through it, all right? The first one is walking with God requires trust. you got to trust Him. Here's where I think the, the struggle for us, right? We're, they're going to struggle with the idea that God is actually uh, can fulfill, He can provide, or maybe we're going to get ourselves caught up in the idea of, of just trying to, to raise our standard of commitment, right? How we say, well, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm content, but we keep raising that standard or whatever it is, right? And so we kind of want to keep up with the Joneses. And this is going to be a struggle in our lives. Our world says this is how it works, right? Get stuff, keep stuff, get more stuff. That's good. And God says, hey, there's nothing wrong with having stuff, nothing wrong with having resources. But if it becomes your idol, yeah, there's a problem. And that's what he goes. He goes right after the heart, doesn't he? 
Oh, right at the finances. You know, the great example as an illustration of this is Jesus. With the rich young ruler, he comes right to Jesus in Matthew 19. And he says, uh, what must I do? Right, good rabbi, what must I do? Inherit eternal life. And Jesus quite quickly calls him on it. And he says, well, if you're familiar with the, with the passage, he says, uh, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Right? This guy as a rabbi is looking for this, or excuse me, as a, as a rich young ruler, he's looking for this rabbi, Jesus, to kind of sign off on him. He knows. Blessed people, rich people in the Old Testament, they were good. They're blessed by God, therefore he's got it. He's got it. I'm good. I know I'm good. And he comes and he asks Jesus to kind of sign off on him. That's what's happening. So Jesus lists out these commandments and he says, I've done them all. Then going after the heart, doesn't he? Right at the heart, Jesus says, then sell all your possessions, give to the poor, then you will be perfect. And if you're familiar with it, you know he drops his head, I imagine, right? And walks away sad. He can't do it. That is his idol. These possessions are his idol. I think what's so profound is that the disciples are probably scratching their head looking at this and going, well, who then, they pose the question, who then can be saved, right? Because rich people are guaranteed salvation. That's why they're rich. They're blessed by God. And Jesus says, right, it's, what is impossible for man is possible, only possible with God. All things are possible with God. And we see this. He goes right after the heart. And so we, as, as followers of Christ, there's a great teaching. There's a, a spiritual growth moment for us in this, that if, if we continue to walk after the Lord and we follow after him and we begin to trust him, we won't put our weight or our, our contentment or anything else in, in our stuff, right? We'll just say, you know what? Everything I have is God's. And I get to give some and I get to help others and I get to give away because I trust him to provide. It's like the funnel, right? When, when God keeps putting in the funnel, we don't clip the bottom or, or stop the bottom. We know it just keeps funneling through. As I give away, God will continue to fill it. I trust him to do that because I'm not owned or dictated by my finances. I think you've, maybe you've heard pastors say, you know, if you look at someone's checkbook, you can see what is most important to them, right? Yeah, we would say all of us. That would dictate Every single one of us, what we value is important. So right out of the gate, if you're walking with the Lord, and know that in this, in the context, this litmus test that God is giving, it is, right? It is this idea of trust. Do you trust him? Do you trust him to provide? He gives the imperative and says, try me in this. That's the word test. He's not saying to just do this and prove him right. No, he's saying, do you actually, in the spiritual, do you trust him to be who he says he is? Do you trust him to provide for your life? Do you see the provision of his in in your life now? That's the, the, the walking with God. That's the knowing. I know. I know he knows my needs. I know. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to open my hands. So that's the first thing. Walking with God requires Trust. My second point is walking with God. If you're doing that, these are things you should be seeing. It necessitates conforming, doesn't it? You spend time with the Savior. You begin to take on the heart of the Savior. So here's, the, here's the, just a few things that I see in this passage. The first thing we should be conforming to is we should conform to God's uh, priorities. In verse 10, we know that he tells us to come and, and bring the tithes into the storehouse that his house may be May, uh, there, there may be food, excuse me, in my house. God has a desire to take care of the priests. The Levites would have the, uh, the necessary uh, requirements to continue to minister. 
right? And for us this morning as a New Testament church, knowing that the, we don't have the Levites anymore, we see that we, you and I, are the church. God desires to, to be glorified in his church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, it says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God's purpose, right, in the church is to be glorified. The church is His people. God loves the church. We should have a love for the church. Christ loves the church. He loves the brothers and sisters. This is the conforming principle we should see, right? If God says, come and bring into the church, attendance is mentioned, right? The Hebrew writer tells us, come, do not forsake the assembling together. John hits it a little bit more, right? Serious is saying, if you don't have a love for our brothers, right? It's an indicator of eternal life. John says in 1 John 2, 9 and 10, he says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. So conforming. God loves the church. God loves, right? We don't get to pick and choose who's a part of the church. God does that, right? But we have a responsibility to love. So we should conform, right? As we walk with the Lord, these things should become important to us. Giving to the church, giving to these purposes. Second thing under that is I think we should conform to God's perspective. Especially when it comes to finances. God's perspective. Jesus said in Luke 16.10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. But he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. And this is the parable of the unjust steward. And the parable speaks to, you know, what is just refers to money and much refers to the eternal riches, the souls of people. So God is saying the truly rich person is the one who manages his resources, his funds, right? We may say the little thing, money, so that we might see others come into the kingdom. The kingdom might advance. And the point is, right, we will never uh, give properly if we view money and material possessions as the world does. We'll never come and give in this way. We don't we should have God's perspective. Why do we give? The gospel would be proclaimed, that lives would come into the kingdom, that outreach would begin. The third thing under this is definitely we need to conform to God's timing. He says, try me now. Try me now in this. Don't wait until uh, you're out of college and you've got your career started. Don't wait until your kids are out of the home, right? Don't wait until you strike it rich or whatever else we may add to this. That now, God says, come and now and give. And again, it's not about, you know, if you're here this morning, you're going, oh, well, this is just about, it's just about money. It's, it's not. Why, why should we be giving? Because you're identifying, identifying not as, not as somebody or like the world who would say, this is, this is the standard. This is where I need to be. You're saying, Lord, all that I am, all that I have is because of you because of who you are, because of your blessings. And I, I open my hand because I, I want to trust you. 
I want to trust you more than I trust myself with my finances, right? I'm going to trust you in this. That's what God is getting after. This is what God blesses. When we respond to this in this way, when we have this attitude, God is the one who goes to action. So we should be able to see this. If you're spending time with the Lord and you're, you're growing in your trust, right? We're walking with Him. Well, definitely as we spend time with Him, we should see some conforming happening. There should be a love for God's church. There should be a desire to see others come to know Him. Hopefully that's your desire. If that's not your desire, I'm going to pray for you. Right? We want to be active in, in outreach. We want to begin outreach. There are things that, that the elders and leaders have been praying about in this next year that we can begin to do some more uh, conservative outreaches into our community. We might see others come and know the Lord. Right, God, Christ, has, put, has commissioned us with the most precious thing, his gospel, to take it forward. Well, we should be active in that. Hopefully that's your heart. Well, that's your desire, right? Hopefully at some point in your life you would say, man, this, I have come to know Christ because someone has taken this precious gospel and shared it with me. And then we, right, we have been commissioned to take that gospel and share it with others. So we should see this. If we're walking with the Lord, if we're opening our hands with our finances, the desire should be, Lord, use this. Please use this for the furtherance of your kingdom. May that be what it's used for. And when I think when we have this heart and we have this desire, it leads right into the next point. Walking with God results in blessings, doesn't it? It results in blessings. We bring all the tithes. We see the attitude where God says, return to me, I'll return to you. Try me in this, right? Try me in this. And I see really two things. Of course, we could itemize these out and, and list them, but I see really two general statements that happen here. What is the blessing? One is, is you. You get blessed. God blesses with provision, doesn't he? He says the provision far exceeds. Right? There is no room that can contain it. Remember in the, in the passage, he's asking for 10. The tithe was 10. He's saying there's no room. There's not a room that will hold how I bless. Right? So we're, we're taking care of. We just doesn't ta- it just takes a moment to come to the, to the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned earlier, where God knows. God knows you need to eat. He knows you, you need clothing. He knows this, right? He's, he's dealing with a deeper level. It's not about, oh, man, I got to give so God's happy. No. I need to give so I'm not, I'm not owned by my finances. I'm owned by the Savior. Paul says that, right, in 1 Corinthians 6. We are not ourselves. We've been bought with a price. Christ has purchased me, and he's given me gifts and talents and abilities that I would make him known. Every single one of you who knows Christ, that is part of your testimony. That we would make him know. That we live a, a life that shines, that others would see as good works. So we see the blessing. God knows. God uh, knows what you need. He is active in it, whether we're aware of it or not. Paul, and I think it's important that we attach this all, right? This idea of, of, of to Christ, right? He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. God will supply. God is looking for your heart. Where is your heart in this? And of course, this leads into the other side of it. God blesses us for others. God blesses us for others. This is where we see the idea of, of testimony, isn't it? We know that our giving is given to missionaries. There are missionaries counting on us to support them. And we know that lives will come into the kingdom. There will be a moment in heaven, right, where you may run into somebody and they'll say, man, thank you. 
Thank you for giving. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for loving me. You are the pivotal moment that God has used in my life that I would come to know him. There's going to be those moments. I'm reminded of, of uh, an old singer, this might date me a little bit, Ray Bolts, who was commissioned to write a song. Maybe if you're familiar with it, thank you for giving to the Lord, right? It was a song and he was commissioned at a, at a missions conference or, you know, of, of people working and laboring in the ministry. And they said, can you write a song with this big event? And he said, absolutely. And the day before, according to his words, he had nothing. I mean, he had nothing. And he prayed a prayer and he said, I don't know if you've ever prayed this way. God, help. Right? God, help me. And he goes, I sat down. I wrote this song. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that has changed. See, we don't, we don't necessarily pause. We don't think about that. We don't think about something simple as giving or something as your testimony, your light. God says in this passage, there will be others who will look upon you. They will say they are blessed. What makes them blessed or different than anybody else on the planet of the earth is who? It's God. God's testimony. So we walk with the Lord and we trust him. We walk with the Lord and we see, you know, conforming to his word. We see his commands. Being, we see a love for his church. It exudes from you. God, God makes us usable in that sense. What is it that's different about you? And you don't, you don't have as much as your neighbor. But man, you have joy. You have peace. Well, let me tell you, it's the presence of God. Let me tell you about him. That's what makes us different. I don't have to live to the world's standards of this is what success is. God's called me by my name. He has adopted me to his family. This is who I am. And this is who you are. And when we do that, when we understand that, we begin to live this way, you become. You become a light that shines. You can't hide it. It exudes because it's who you are. It's who you are. And that leads right into the last point of what I, what I want to get at is, you know, walking with God is a positive. It's a positive witness. We show what is most important in us, right? What is most important shows itself in your life, in your decisions, in your thinking. But here is the blessing of influence. Malachi says, this is verse 12, he says, And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land. They will call you blessed. See, Israel was not giving the right impression, was he? Or was, were they, we should say. Other nations were looking upon him and saying, what's so special about you? Nothing. What's so unique about you? Nothing. Your God is just like every other pagan God out there, right? You got your good days, your bad. That's what I see. And God is concerned. What is the concern? Right? We see this throughout the letter. I'm going to sin. All nations will know. The Gentiles will know. They're going to know me. They're going to praise me. They're going to worship me. It's near and dear to him. So naturally, he says, look, when you do this, we take repentance seriously. When you're walking with me, when you return to me, I'll return to you. Others will know it. So we're left with this question, how do others see? Right? Maybe you think about this. I don't know. Maybe I think in, in weird ways. How do other people see that you are blessed? I don't think it's, it's, it's your resources. I don't think it's your money. Maybe they might do that. But it's, it's you. It's your joy. It's your character. It's your response to situations of life, whether at home or in work or wherever you might be. That is what is contagious. That's where Christ shines. 
And isn't it amazing that God kind of boils this down to here's the litmus test. How do you view your finances? That, isn't that interesting that God uses that to say this is, here's, a, here's how you can see in your own life where you're walking. Is it at a certain amount? No. That amounts between you and the Lord. He says, where is your heart in this? Are you going to trust me? Do you desire to see other lives come? Of course, he would say yes. Are you conforming to these things? Are you walking with me? Others will be blessed. It's a positive, it's a positive influence. And we attach it to Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know, and we do, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Yes. I heard a pastor one time say these words. He said, the world isn't drawn to disobedient Christians who are under God's discipline. They are drawn to obedient believers who know the joy of God's delightful blessings. may not have much, but I have the world. I have Christ. So here's our challenge, church. It's three things under the challenge. I, I think where we're going we're gonna to have to have moments of, of, of faith, right? And I just the first one all begins with know God. Do you know him? Right? You're not going to have trust in God if you don't know who he is. And if you're struggling with thinking, I don't know, I don't know, Pastor, if he can provide in my life, if he can do these things and do a study of his word. See, if you can find a place where God has not been faithful to his word, that'll grow our trust. I think the time of our faith is weak. The remedy, right, is a strong knowledge of God, of his word, and we go to the scriptures, study it through the scriptures. Do a word study on these things. Is God faithful? Study that attribute out. List it out. Itemize it out. List all the scripture references. You'll have countless ones because that's who he is. And let that grow our faith. The second thing is, it's one of my, my first points, you've got to trust God. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You've got to trust him. There's going to be moments in our life that. I think we'll waver in this. We're human. But we need, to, we need to have a resolve and a confidence here that God is who God is because that's who God is. You've got to trust Him. The last one is simply believe Him. Believe Him. This is the indicator. This is why God uses finance. Do you really believe Him? Do you believe Him? Do you believe that He'll provide you? Are you really going to try Him? Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 29, he says to doubting Thomas, right? Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's the work of faith, isn't it? Sometimes we like the idea of seeing is believing, but with God, it's, it's not seeing and trusting, right? He wants us to be identified. He doesn't want us to, to look to what we have done or, or to love him on our terms or to turn the, the idea of giving and offering into some type of legalistic thing. No, he says, no, and all that I am and all that I have it is the Lord's. And I get to come and I get to give. I get to do these things. And, and this is the litmus test because God doesn't want us to be a church that assembles and simply their heart is far from them. We praise him with our lips, but our heart is far from him. God knows us, and God says, come, trust me, try me, return to me. I'll return to you. 
Isn't it amazing of all the things we've gone to this moment, all the things they've been doing that God simply pauses and just says, look, if you just come back, if you just return, his blessings far exceed. It doesn't mean he, if we give something in, in, in a, you know, an offering doesn't mean we get that, but it exceeds. You, can you put a price on God's peace in your own? Can you put a price on joy in this world in which we live in? You put a price on the idea of salvation and what Christ has accomplished. We would say no. And yet all those we have, we have them. God delights, God delights to bestow those upon his children. Think about that. God is desiring. If you would just trust me, just trust me, try me in this and let me, let me delight myself in blessing you. Let's pray together.